Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I got an email today from some believers out in the area of China that ministers to the Uyghur people, Uyghur people, and these are Chinese people that live in the western side of China. Uh, they're, they're very much influenced by Islam in that area, but there are plenty that are coming to know the Lord, and plenty of them are coming and born again. And uh, they, uh, they asked us to pray for them because they're a, they're a minority group within China. If you know China, they, um, it's, it's a very... Uh, very race-oriented society, meaning that if you are not uh, a certain Chinese ethnic group, then even if you're born in China, it doesn't matter, you're not Chinese, even if you're generations of generations in that, in that land. So these are Uyghur. It's a minority group. They are ignored by the government and persecuted uh, many times because they're Muslims. A lot of them are Muslims. And, and to me, the reality is they need to get saved anyway. So uh, the gospel needs to go to them, despite the fact that they, they're Muslims. Now, they, they have some violent crimes that have happened in that area, and the Chinese government has really come down upon the Uyghur people, but we need to pray for them, because many of them are coming to the Lord. And the other one is in Vietnam, the Hmong people. And they were telling me about a, a gentleman who had visited them and ministered to the areas of the Hmong people. These are, I guess... Um, ethnic groups within Vietnam. A lot in Asia is ethnic groups. Don't, don't think of it like they're born in Vietnam, they're born in China, so they're Chinese or Vietnamese. It has a lot to do with people group. And uh, very poor. A lot of them are believers, believe it or not. They're believers and they live in the mountains. Very poor. And, uh, of course, they ask us to pray for more of, of them to come to the Lord, Hmong people in Vietnam. So with that in mind, we have our study today, how to become a Christian. And I suppose these believers have been persecuted by their own state and their own people. They can tell us a lot, a lot about uh, how to become a Christian and how to stay and how to be continually walk as a Christian. And we're studying that today. And so reminding myself that there are other believers today that they don't enjoy the freedom you and I have today of opening the scriptures and reading it in peace and going to uh, a peaceful place after this. They are persecuted, they're very poor, and the scripture tells us in Hebrews to remind ourselves of them and those who are in prison, and we posted something about the Nigerian Christians, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday, we posted something on our website or Facebook page to pray for Nigerian believers. Heavy persecution by Islam in those areas, it touched me because the pastors are being jailed or burnt alive. And uh, you could imagine that. That's you know, something you don't want to hear on a Sunday morning, but that's, that's reality. And that's what these Christians are going through. So as Christians who enjoy freedom, we pray for them. And there's even a video, if you, I'll show it to you if you don't believe me, but of this Christian pastor urging Christians in America to pray, to get involved, because I, I know and our, our president and vice presidents are really in touch with Christian uh, issues in the world, and they have been involved and the persecution of other believers, especially Vice President Pence. So we need to pray for him as well, that this information gets into his hands and uh, that they'll do something, be able to put enough pressure on the governments to stop. Uh, we can appeal to Caesar. 
we can appeal to Caesar just like Paul did in the book of Acts. He appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen and was able to, because of his citizenship, he was able to get certain rights across to further the gospel. And we can appeal to our government still to this day. Can you believe that? Might not be after November. But anyway, that's a different story. We still appeal to our government on behalf of Christians around the world and, of course, in our country as well. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for all your blessings, Lord, all your goodness, Father. Thank you for your kindness and mercy that you've shown through your Son, the Messiah. We pray, Father, that you help us in understanding your word, help us in understanding the scriptures, help us, Lord, in applying it to our lives. And with that, Lord, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. We need the anointing, the empowerment, the, uh, Lord, the, the, the filling, the strength of your Spirit today, Lord God, not only to hear it, to teach it, but to apply it in our lives. So, Father, we are committed to you. We are dependent on you today to do the work in us. Help us to have ears to hear, hearts to understand, and, Lord, in a willingness to apply these things to our lives more than beyond agreement and, and, and things on paper and things that we read. Lord, help us to uh, experience in our lives a daily fellowship and relationship with your Holy Spirit this uh, are so important for us to understand and know. As we ask these things, Lord, we pray in Jesus, your son's name. Amen. How do I become a Christian? Part three. We have talked about in the first two sessions about the three things that everyone in the book of Acts that became a Christian went through. And those were repentance, repentance toward God, faith, in Jesus, faith in Jesus, and of course, the one that we talked about last week, water baptism, water baptism. And these are basic, basic fundamental stuff. And even, even on basic stuff, uh, Christians still have questions. You could imagine um, the more complicated things in the scriptures. But even in the basic things, Christians have questions. Even people asked me last week, do you believe water baptism is for salvation? In and of itself, no. It does not save you. You get wet. You get drenched. You get soaked. In and of itself. But because I do believe salvation is a walk, it's an ongoing relationship with God, water baptism plays a role in your walk, in your salvation, in your identification with Jesus. Otherwise, why would they even ask believers to do that? We went through all the scriptures. Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. These are things that they didn't make it an option. All those things that we talked about, those three things, are commands in the Scripture, meaning that they didn't go to Christians and said, well, this is what you have to do, and this other stuff is sort of optional. This is the real thing, and this is sort of thing that you may want to do later. They were all command. Repent, a command. Believe, a command. Be baptized in water, a command. And the fourth one that we'll talk about today, receive the Holy Spirit, emphatic command. These are things that all believers ought to have. All believers are to do. Why? Because it's part of our salvation. Not only our identification with Jesus, but also our ongoing relationship with him. Our ongoing relationship with him. So this is the things we talked about last week. Turn to Acts chapter 20, please. Acts chapter 20. And let's look at verse 21 of that chapter, just to get a flavor of it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, if you need a Bible... And let us know, we can get you one. But every believer ought to read this. Every believer ought to read this. For one, you don't take my word for it. 
you take God's word for it. You take what it says. And if it's wrong, then you come by and tell me that I was, didn't, tell, didn't preach that verse correctly, right? But this is what the scripture says. So we're all going by scripture. Acts 20, 21, Paul speaking, and he has been sharing to the Ephesian elders about the, his farewell. They're not going to see him again. He's going to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 21, I have been solemnly testifying to both Jews and Gentiles, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, he will elaborate more on this, where he would talk about in Acts 26, how he turned, the Lord sent him to turn people from darkness to light, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of our son, of his son, from the power of darkness and the devil to the power of God. Repentance and faith. Repentance toward God, faith in Jesus. Everybody all right? You demonstrate that, the effectiveness of that, and the reality of that faith on the facts, remember, the facts that this happened in history, you confirm it or you establish that reality in a personal experience when you are water baptized. Now it's not just facts and information you accumulated. Now you do something with your faith. You've repented, you believed. Now let's identify ourselves in Christ Jesus, his death going into the water, his burial, his resurrection unto newness of life. You come out of the water into newness of life. And then God does something amazing. He cuts off the world from you. He cuts off the past from you. You dealt with your past. It's been buried in Christ. It's been hidden in Christ. You are hidden in Christ. And now your sins are passed away, the old stuff, the past sins. Everyone's a new creation in Jesus, right? Repentance, faith is validated by baptism, but now you start a new life, and that's what you need, this, the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't say this as is an it, and this is a big part of what we talk about today. Have you received it? <laughs> Have you got it? This is how, in some circles, they talk. Like, if it's an it, it is not a noun. It is a verb. When we talk about receiving or baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is a verb, meaning it is a dynamic relationship with the other person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. We talked about repentance toward God. We talked about believing in Jesus. But God is not binatarian. By meaning two. God is Trinitarian. Where is the other person of the Godhead? He is involved in the salvation of our souls, the salvation of us, but an ongoing relationship, meaning that it's not just a once and for all thing that you did. Hey, I repented, I believe, 30 years ago. Well, how does it look like it now? Where you are now, it's very, very important. It's as important as how you started. And so this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. He's not an it. He is not something you get. You know, it's not like catching the cold. You know, he's like, did you get it? You get what? <laughs> you know, the, 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 the baptism. Well, if you're going to call the Holy Spirit an it, then we're starting off with the wrong thing. We have to go back to the beginning. It's a, a dynamic relationship with God that is worked out in our lives through the Holy Spirit only made available because Jesus died and rose from the dead. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So this is what happens in Pentecost. No matter what we deal with, 
we have to realize that something did happen on that day. In Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, from creation to the new Jerusalem, that's the big picture, we have to identify something uniquely happened in Pentecost. And that was the outpouring and the giving of the Holy Spirit to, not just to the Jewish people, we'll talk about it in a moment, because this was part of their feast, their gatherings, right? They had feast, and on three of those feasts, which they were celebrating the harvest, three of them, every male Jew had to attend. Those were the three. Passover, Shavuot, which we'll call Pentecost, and Sukkoth, which we'll call Tabernacles. These are the, the, the actual names used in the scripture. We'll translate them. Passover, we know what that is. Shavuot, Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, and Sukkoth. Feast of Tabernacles. And they happen in different times of the season. So in the spring, you have the Passover. In the summer, 50 days after the Passover, you have this interesting feast called Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost. 50 days after the Passover, you count days, you count 50 days. It's sort of similar to how kids do. They, 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 we have Thanksgiving, and they begin to count down to Christmas, right? That's how we could identify it in, in our culture. Thanksgiving happens. You didn't do that? No? Okay, you did. Okay. Look at me like, what are you referring to? You didn't do that? You'd start counting. You start, you know, if you're like my kids, they just go to the calendar every day and they slash out another name. Or my wife makes these little rings and they start cutting the rings and, and they start counting down to, to this event. Well, the Jews do the same. They count down from Passover to Shavuot, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Pentecost, 50 days, hence the name Penta, Pentecost. And these are, these are the cycle. This is what they do in the cycle. But those three, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkoth, are very, very important in terms of the calendar, how they look at it. So we're looking at Pentecost from this perspective. Pentecost, Pentecost, it, it's real now, as in the New Testament, because of what Jesus did. Because of what Jesus did. So this is a very important part of it. It's, we're not divorcing the event or divorcing the, the actual uh, the happening of the, of the Holy Spirit and, and that he's giving because, from Christ because this is how he came about. Jesus dies, rises again, and he ascends to heaven, to the right hand of the Father, and then the Spirit is sent because of the promise of God. He is sent based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the Son is sent to minister to the world, to die for the sins of the world, to be raised again, and to ascend for the Spirit to come. And that's what Jesus explained to all the disciples from John 13 to 17, that unless he goes, the Spirit cannot come. Unless he goes, the Spirit cannot come. And they're very sorrowful to see Jesus go. I would too. I spent three and a half years with this man. He means everything to me. That's what the disciples would have thought. He is the Messiah. We believe that he, he is, and now he's going to give himself away. But he says, don't be sorrowful. I won't leave you as orphans. I will give you one like me. That's the, that's the definition of it. One who comes uh, like me. He comes as a comforter, as a representative of Christ to us uh, for our lives. He will be in you, Jesus said. He will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything that I've taught you. And so we have this relationship that the apostles had with Jesus, and it's now 
transferring, in a sense, to now a relationship with Christ through the Holy Spirit. So the, the dynamic becomes a little bit different now. It's Christ, the relationship with him, absolutely, but it's through the Holy Spirit. And this is what Pentecost would have looked like if we're looking at it from the Old Testament. It was given to the Jewish people. This was their feast, no doubt about it. However, because Pentecost reaches everyone in the world, Gentiles throughout the world, we see that it's not just national Israel, but also international. It goes to all who believe. Whatever nationality you came from, whatever culture and background you came from, is for all who believe. The Spirit is poured out on all people, and this is what Peter was talking about. It's to you, to your family, to your children, to those who are far off. To those who are far off, God is reaching us now with the Holy Spirit. Remember, in the Old Testament, it was for the Jewish people and very few Gentiles coming in. You had episodes like Ruth. You had episodes like Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. But for the most part, mostly Jewish people. But now, because of Pentecost, it has gone to the whole world. God has promised that he will reach the ends of the earth with the gospel and with his spirit, and therefore we all recipients of this promise. God promised something very unique. We'll look at that in a moment. The book of Acts. We see that in the book of Acts, this is over and over again taught, practiced, explained. You're receiving God. You're receiving not just an it or uh, some experience. You're having a relationship with God. And it's now the Holy Spirit who indwells you. But he also wants to do something more than that. He wants to be dynamically involved in your life. In every aspect of your life, he is dynamically empowering us as we are immersed in him. I'm going to use that word immersed because it takes away the, the, the I guess, the idea of baptism which was what the word means. Remember I told you it's not allowed to be translated into English? Okay, you guys remember? Okay, it's, it's transliterated, into, transliterated into English, and it causes a lot of confusion. But it's the word immersed. We are immersed in a person. We don't get something, you know. Did you get it? <laughs> if you're saying, are you in the Holy Spirit? Yes. If you're saying, I have, uh, he has me, or he indwells me? Yes. Am I immersed in him? This is what we're talking about. Immersion in the Holy Spirit. But we have to go back to Abraham a little bit. Why? Because God made incredible promises to Abraham that are beneficial for, beneficial for all believers. We don't think of Abraham connected to the Holy Spirit, but let's show up in a moment. Turn to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. It's a very, very interesting part here. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, in that this Holy Spirit, this idea of the Holy Spirit, who is a person, but they, they couldn't understand it so well in the Old Testament. They still had limitations to what they could understand. But look at the promise of Abraham. Abraham was a, a pagan, a Gentile. Don't tell that to my Jewish friends, but he was. And God called them to become a Hebrew, out of you I will make a great nation. And he came over the river into this land. He promised them a land. He promised them a nation. He promised them a people. 
And that's what the word Hebrew means, one who crosses over. He crossed over the river. And he'll give him a land. He'll give him a great nation. He blessed all the nations. Through you, Abraham, and your seed, you will bless all the nations. All the Gentiles will be blessed through you. How is he going to do that? Look at verse 8 of chapter 3. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify who? Gentiles. Insert yourself right there. By faith, preach the gospel to Abraham. Now, it's the same gospel. It hasn't changed. Big confusion in the body of Christ. Is the gospel back then the same as it is today? Yes. Just the fact that they didn't have the full understanding of the gospel that we do now, it doesn't mean God didn't know it, and it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit didn't know what he was talking about. Just Abraham didn't have all the facts. The Jewish people didn't have all the facts. But they knew that God promised to justify people by faith. This is something that goes back even before Moses. You know, some people believe that, you know, you get saved by the law, that Jews were actually saved by the law in the Old Testament. No. The Jews were saved the same way you and I are saved today, by faith and repentance. If they had real faith that God would cover their sins and they were sorry and they turned away from sin, that they were, their sins were covered. Kapura Yom Kippur. They were covered until the next year. And they had to do it every year. Remember, even the high priest had to do a sacrifice for himself because he was a sinner. But they had to do it every year, looking forward to the day that this sacrifice will be fulfilled in the person and in the body of Messiah. They were saved and promised. Just read Hebrews 11. They all had faith. By faith Abraham, by faith Joseph. Are you saying that they weren't saved? And people say that. Oh, they were saved by the... No, they were saved by faith. They're saved by faith because God's always saving people by faith and repentance. Absolutely. But not only that, in the future too. People born into the millennium, people born into after Jesus comes will have to be saved by faith. People that live in the millennium, people that are born in the millennium will have to be saved by faith and repentance in the sacrifice of Christ. There's only one gospel. That's what Paul preached. Galatians next week. Not next week, the week after that, sorry. Galatians next time. There's only one gospel, and when people preach a different gospel, Paul says it's not that it's a different gospel, but it's a distortion of the true gospel. They distort it, and because people don't understand fully the gospel in many senses, they begin to hear things and they don't understand, well, that doesn't work. You have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Are you saying that the Old Testament saints are not born again? So they can't enter. That, that, that doesn't make sense. Right? They have to be, by faith and repentance, have salvation in the Messiah. They look the head, we look back as a memorial, but we're saved by the same grace, the same faith, the same repentance, the same Messiah who died for our sins. Anyway, I digress. You are made righteous by faith. Preach the gospel to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you, all the nations. Aren't you glad? This is this. Is, this yeah, you should be... Unless you don't understand what that meant, you could be really, really sorrowful today. But once you understand what that meant, you're absolutely excited because before you were even born, before you were even born again, God was already working the gospel in a man called Abraham to set it up for us so that when we receive this promise, um, it was not only foretold, 
that this will happen, but it was foretold that a person will come. Uh, look what it says in there. So those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Abraham was absolutely a believer. So the first thing that happened, the first blessing that comes is God makes Gentiles righteous. He justifies Gentiles. He intends to justify people through Abraham's seed. Abraham's seed, the Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah from Abraham that the promise is Abraham, every person who believes, Gentiles, Jew, but he's talking about Gentiles here, will be blessed because of you. Your seed will bless all nations. So we are blessed by Abraham today. One person blessed by Abraham. All right, me and you. We're saved by Abraham. No? We're saved through the promise of Abraham. Through the promise of Abraham. Now let's look at this. Second promise. Verse 13, same chapter. You don't have to go far. Here's the second thing God does through Abraham. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Talking about the cross. Talking about an Old Testament passage that dealt with those who are cursed. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, Here's another one that we don't really see in the Old Testament. Until we read the New, we realize God promised to justify Gentiles and to give Gentiles the Holy Spirit. The promise of God to Abraham would come through the Messiah, but this was foretold long ago. This is in the Old Testament, right? This is something before you even were born, before you were born again. God was working it out. So when you received it, you receive the promise, the inheriting promise that the faith, your faith will not only bring salvation, but it will bring the Holy Spirit into your life. What a blessing. And this is to, through, through, uh, through this man called Abraham, whom God said, I preached the gospel to them. So in the Old Testament, they did this. To symbolize the Holy Spirit coming upon people, they, put, they anointed people with oil. And so in the Old Testament, this idea of the Spirit becomes liquefied. I mean liquefied. Think of liquids that gave us an idea of what the Holy Spirit would look like or will, his work would look like. And one of them was oil. The other was water. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the other one was wine. Anointing, oil, joy, wine, the joy of the Spirit, and water symbolizing salvation and symbolizing how you would receive and express the Holy Spirit out. We'll talk about that in a moment. But anointing. Just read the Psalms, especially Psalm 133. Abraham, I'm sorry, Aaron is anointed and they put oil on him, right? And he runs through, runs through his beard. It's not just a little sprinkle, it's a drenching of oil. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. So this is, this is how it was. Now, Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Because the same thing happened to Jesus. Now, he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah, which means Mashiach, which means anointed one, the Christ, Christos, the Christ. That's what he had. He had the Spirit, but he was also empowered by the Spirit. 
And we'll talk about that in a moment. 1 Corinthians 10, before we get to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10. Look what happened to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10. You don't have to go too far in Corinthians 10. Just the first verse. Our fathers, our forefathers, talking to Gentiles, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. This is the Exodus. This is the, remember the movie Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston? Okay. Sometimes we have to put it in, in colloquial terms, right? The passing through the Red Sea. Waters part. Moses is leading them. The Egyptians are coming right after him. And something was happening, though, that the New Testament explains more clearly. As they were passing through the water, they were being baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The cloud was the glory of God. It was God, and the Bible says that he, he, the cloud was over them and it stood in front of them, basically creating a barrier between them and the Egyptians. It was God. They were being baptized in water, the sea, and they were being baptized in God, the cloud. Everybody all right with that? Something was happening on the Exodus. So when you watch the Ten Commandments, you go, ooh, there's more to that than just, uh, you know, Charlton Heston going through that Red Sea. The Bible says they were being baptized into Moses in water and in God in the cloud. The cloud was there. God was there. And therefore, we have this beautiful picture of water and spirit being worked out in their lives. Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, because you know this verse. You know this verse. Here is an issue of water and spirit happening at the same time when the Jews were crossing the Red Sea. But then Jesus spoke about this. Look what it says, John 3, 3. Jesus to Nicodemus at night, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old and he, enter, and he cannot enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here's another episode of water and Spirit working together. And this time, it is realizing that there is a, a born-again experience. You're born from God. Now you're being born from God. Yes, you were born from your mother. We all were. But now we are going to be born from God. Another translation says born from above, but that's the idea. It's born from God. The Jews were being born into the water, but also the cloud was there, right? They were being born of God as the cloud was there leading them through this Exodus experience. Okay, But Jesus is our example. Did that happen to Jesus at any point in his life? And the answer is yes. As John was baptizing in the Jordan, it says in John chapter 1, John the baptizer, there was much water there. That's the reason why he was baptizing there. Jesus comes to him. And John says, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. I'm not even worthy to loosen your straps on your sandals. And Jesus said, this also must be complete. This has to be done. And Jesus goes in the water. And Jesus is, comes out of the water in a voice from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove, rests upon him in the declaration, this is the beloved son of God. This is God's son. This is the one whom God has appointed. Right? 
in the first part of that verse, we hear that John said, to, said about Jesus to his disciples, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Later, he baptizes them and he says, this is the one. I can only baptize you in water, but him will baptize you with Holy Spirit, literally, in Holy Spirit, in Holy Spirit, right? There's something that Jesus is going to do. I can only get you into water. <laughs> I can only bring you to him, but he will carry you through the rest of the way. I can only point you to the person, but he's the one that's going to do the work. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if we, um, I'll read it to you if you just don't want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, a very important verse. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we were all immersed into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Again, the idea of water and spirit continues on over and over again in the Bible. Drink of the spirit. Immersed in the spirit. What is, what is Paul trying to say? When we are born again, when we have faith and repentance, we believe in the finished work of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, right? We are baptized into or immersed into the body of Christ. But we're also told to drink of the Spirit, right? We were all made to drink of the Spirit. There's something that continues on. Did you see that? No. All right. When you read the verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you are baptized into the body of Christ. We were all made to drink of the Spirit. There's something, a unique experience that goes on, right? That goes on because there's, there's people that believe, okay, you're born again, you have the Spirit, that's it. That's all I got. I got everything I need. And they never go on to continue on what the Scripture says. Jesus is our example. Did Jesus have the Spirit? Well, yes. From the womb, he was conceived and born of the Spirit. He's the Messiah. But he was empowered by the Spirit. There was a relationship now that happened with him and the Holy Spirit. And that unique experience happened at baptism, his water baptism. And in that unique experience, Jesus goes on to now be led of the Spirit into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. And now his life will be completely immersed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He laid aside his divine exercise, right? His exercise of his divine rights. He's God, but he laid it aside. An interesting word, kenosis in Greek, emptying out. He emptied out his privileges of being God. He emptied him out and was empowered by the Spirit, led of the Spirit to do the things that he did in ministry. He depended on the Holy Spirit. It's hard to imagine Jesus depending on anyone. He's God. He could have done it because he's God, but he humbled himself and he submitted to the work of the Spirit as our example of how to walk in the Spirit. And this is a man who had the fullness of the Spirit. He's the second person of the Godhead. He had it all. He was born of the Spirit. He was conceived by the Spirit. Yet, something that he had to relate to the Holy Spirit because as a man, he needed or experience. He needed that experience to relate to God's Spirit in a way that we will have to as we follow him in his steps. So he's baptized in water, and now he has the experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon him and the recognition of God, the statement of God, you are my beloved son and who I am well pleased. 
Now, it's interesting that when Jesus went to heaven, when Jesus went to heaven, when he ascended to heaven, then the Holy Spirit was poured out, right? So there's this incredible, unique relationship that Jesus is empowered by the Spirit, walks on earth with the Spirit. Then he goes and he says, okay, now you have it. You have it. You experience the closeness of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we, 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 relate to, we relate to baptism or immersion in the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a closeness to a person, right? a closeness relationship, not some weird event, not some thing that people are afraid of or abusive, but we're relating to a person and how the Holy Spirit is guiding us and strengthening us and comforting us, encouraging us and teaching us and empowering us. All those things he does. See how much he does? It's incredible. And for the most part, I, I, I hate to admit this, the church has become, has become binatarian, meaning we lift up God, we lift up Jesus, and of course we ought to do that, and we stop there. And we just say, well, you know, if there's anything left after that, you know, what else do we need? We have Jesus, right? But Jesus didn't say, well, that's it, that's all you need is me. Jesus didn't never said that. He actually said you need the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus says we need the Holy Spirit, we have to listen to him, right? Yes, Jesus is sufficient, but Jesus wants us to relate to him, the Holy Spirit, whom he, by his death and resurrection, pours out. He goes to the Father and says, Father, it's, it's complete. It's done. And the Father says, okay, remember that promise to Abraham I made? Now I'm going to give it to not just the Jews, but to all who believe. So we become children of Abraham, the believer. Now, one more thing. This was Passover, right? Jesus died on Passover. Quite interesting. He dies on Passover, and Pentecost is 50 days away. But there is something that happens to Jesus on the cross that anticipates the Holy Spirit. Let me know what that is. Anticipates the Holy Spirit. What's that? That's right. You guys are well ahead. You need me to teach you this. You guys know this, right? On Passover, the blood of the Lamb was sprinkled. It was offered. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He offers his body, himself. He offers it not in a temple made with hands. The book of Hebrews makes it clear, in a temple in heaven. He offers it to God himself, the high priest, and he offers the sin offering himself, his body, his blood, on the altar in heaven for our salvation. Right? God justifies the sinner. doesn't justify the sin, but the sinner never tells us. God never says, it's okay that you did that. Now, he justifies the sinner. The sin has to be atoned for. The sin has to be dealt with. That's the death of Jesus. But he justifies the sinner as if we didn't do it because Jesus took the punishment and the pain. So now we have this experience. Jesus on the cross. We're told that on the cross, Jesus was there for nine hours. And on the cross, they were going to break the legs of the three the three men that were up there because it was Passover and it was time to take the bodies down. They couldn't have the bodies up there. It was Passover. But now they come to Jesus and he appears to be dead. He's dead. And they go, is he dead? Well, we're not going to break his legs. The breaking of the legs was to uh, expedite the, uh, the, the death process. Right? They, they break the legs, you can't breathe, and therefore it's, it's an agony. It's a terrible death. Jesus was dead and they puncture him. They pierce him. And he bleeds out. But John says, if you read John 19, he says, I saw the blood, 
But something else happened. Blood started coming out, and water started coming out. Anybody read that part? John, no, no, read that part? Okay, maybe we should go there. Should we go there? Oh, let's go there. John 19. All right. John chapter 19. Something happened. Something happened at the cross that was anticipating. It was anticipating this event. John 19, verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. Now, every time something really unique happens or important, John, by the Holy Spirit, gives his little comment. You you read that in verse 34? He sees the blood and the water. Look at verse 35. And he who has seen and bore witness, and his witness is true. This is John. He was there. Right? He was there because Jesus just told him earlier that he was going to take care of his mother. Right? You take care of my mom. And his witness is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, so that you may also, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass that the scripture might be fulfilled, none of his bones shall be broken. That's the scripture in the Old Testament. They didn't break Jesus' leg. The Passover lamb could not have. Um, Basically, the offering had to be right, had to be perfect. Can I have any broken bones? But water and flow comes out, uh, water and blood come out, and he sees and he tells us, this is true, this is a witness, I was there. You ever, you ever had somebody tell you that? Like, man, you have to believe me, I was there. This is John pleading with us, that you may believe this is so important. Why? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. His blood justifies us before a holy God, right? He forgives our sin through his blood, absolutely clear. But then there's water. Then there's water. Turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. On this day, John chapter 7 tells us that there was a feast. John chapter 7 verse 2. The feast of the Jews. The feast of booth. Translated, transliterated I should say. Sukkoth, booth, tabernacles. It's going to happen, I think in a couple of weeks. Rosh Hashanah is coming up, so Feast of Booth will be coming up later. Later in the month, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. And this is something that is happening at the time of Jesus. He goes to the feast. And on this feast, it's quite unique. It's unique because there's something that the Jews do. They don't do it today because they don't have the temple. But when they had the temple, they go down to the Pool of Siloam, and the priests carry a pitcher of water. And they carry it from the, uh, from the Pool of Siloam, and they bring it all the way up to the Temple Mount. And when they bring it up to the Temple Mount, they pour it out. They pour out the water on the Temple Mount. Why do they do that? Well, when they pour it out, they pray. Well, I have to go back to this. Yeah, there we go. Why? Because it's been a long, hot summer, <laughs> and there's been no rain in Israel. This is a cyclical thing. Does not rain. It's like Southern California. Doesn't rain. We're talking to about the 11 inches in Pennsylvania. I go, wow. I wouldn't even know what that looks like. I wouldn't know what to do. No wonder we have car accidents everywhere when it rains. People are mesmerized by the rain. Uh, but in Israel, it's the same. It doesn't rain for the whole summer. And they pour out the water and they pray. They pray that God will be faithful to bring the rain, the latter rain of the year in the autumn, 
so they can have a harvest. But they also pray Isaiah 43. They pray Isaiah 43 that out of the ground will bring forth fruit because the word of God, the rain will come down and it will bring forth fruit on the ground. The rain, a picture, a liquid, the Holy Spirit will come down like the word and will accomplish something on the ground and it will bring forth fruit. And they pray that God will bring rain, the Holy Spirit, because it's been dry for 400 years, right? Between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, there had no prophetic word except for John the Baptist, and they would pray that God would speak to them again. God will speak to them again. And so in John chapter 7, Jesus goes to this feast. Jesus goes to this feast, and look at verse 37. On the last day of the great feast, because it lasts for seven days, the Jews move into a camp. They do camping. You guys like camping? You guys like camping? No? Dana does not like camping at all? Okay. My daughter does not like camping at all. A lot of girls don't like camping at all. I don't know why. Okay. Hotels, probably. But camping, maybe not. But this is a good thing to get used to. And the Jews will celebrate this because in the wilderness, they left Egypt and they lived in the wilderness and lived in the desert. And guess what they had to live in? They had to live in tents. And now they get into the promised land, and God said, remember how I took care of you in the wilderness, how I gave you all these wonderful things. I gave you water, I gave you food, I took care of you, I warmed you up, I kept you from the heat, and you lived in tents every year. In the Feast of Booth, you move out of your home, you go out and make a tent, and they actually have to make it out of anything, leaves, palm branches, whatever they have, and the shoddier the better, just to remember. So you, you know, you're living in this wonderful home, but you came out of... Real bad stuff. You got, God took care of you in the bad. He's going to take care of you in the good. That's what it's trying to say. On this feast, they remember, it lasts for seven days. Look at verse 37. John 7, 37. Now on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood up. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Remember 1 Corinthians 12? We're made to drink of the Spirit. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from, this inner, from his innermost being shall flow torrents, rivers, outflow of living water. Outflow of living water coming from him. And it says in verse 39, just because, just so we don't miss it, John applies what he believed, what he understood. But this Jesus, he spoke of the Holy Spirit because uh, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now John is unique. In the Gospels, he speaks of this glorification of Jesus, or lifting up Jesus. And we often think of, oh, praise and worship Jesus. Yes, that's true. But John is explaining something. When was Jesus lifted up? Cross. When was Jesus glorified? on the cross and the resurrection because it's three days later that happened, right? He was glorified. He was lifted up. But the Holy Spirit, like the water that Jesus promised that will come out of that individual, was not yet given, was not yet happening because the Spirit was not yet given. Who gives the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Come to me and drink, he says. You come to me and drink. John sees this in, in John chapter 19, and he sees water and blood flow out, and he says, that's it. There's a little hint that something is coming. Fifty days later, in the book of Acts, 
not just flowing from his side now. He's now glorified. He's ascended, Lord. And now he says, you ready? I am going to give of the Holy Spirit. And it's pictured in this form. It's pictured in this form. Now, there's an interesting thing that happened, right? There's an interesting story, and I'm going to correlate it to this very quickly. It's a story in the Old Testament about water and about the blood of men that we may not understand it completely, but it relates to this passage. Remember, the Holy Spirit is poured out because Jesus suffered. The Holy Spirit is given to us at a great cost. It's free in that you don't have to pay for it. But it costs greatly. It is a high cost. It's the Son of God who was pierced for our sins and bruised for our iniquity. He is put to death so that we can have the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, there's a story of David. David is hiding in a cave and he's lamenting. And he said, man, I wish I had some water. Oh, I remember the days, he says, when I was young, I was in Bethlehem. And I remember the days, just go down to the well and you pick up the water and you drink and it was so good. And he's sort of, sort of saying, it, maybe not that dramatic, maybe he was. And his men, his soldiers were going, oh, David wants some water. We're going to go get it. And they, they don't tell him, they just go. They just go in this kind of like clandestine uh, um, operation. They go underhanded and they go to Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem was loaded with Philistines. There was Philistines everywhere, the Bible says. But these men risked their lives, and they got him a pitcher of water, and they brought it back to David. And they said, David, here, drink. And he's so overwhelmed. And he, he's so overwhelmed, and he says, you guys did this for me? This cost the blood of these men. This is so, this is amazing. I, I can't drink this. And he pours it out as a drink offering to God, saying, this water is so costly. It's so important. It's so amazing that this cost you your blood. This cost you your life. And you're bringing it to me? I can't drink it. I have to offer it to God as a sacrifice, as an offering. This is an Old Testament picture of what, how, how precious this water is. This is no ordinary water. This is the precious water that flows from Messiah unto us. Yeah, we're all thankful of the blood, aren't we? But are we thankful of the water? The water that he's made us drink? The water that he offers it to us freely because of his death? He gives it to us freely? And so many people just ignore it. So many people don't, don't want it. Jesus says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And I tell you that, my friend, as we finish, we're close to finish. Is that coming out of your life today? Is that precious flow of water living and streaming and that's being outpoured, but is it flowing out to all people? Because uh, the book of Acts tells us that it was for all people. And it was for people to know the truth and for people to know God. Now, people have ruined this because of techniques. They have a certain technique. You can get the spirit like this and only like this, and therefore everybody has to fall into, you know, fall into this this, this, this pattern, and therefore that the, 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 the technique becomes so much important that they forget that it was never about the technique. It was about the reality of the person living in your life now, the Holy Spirit. And people become disappointed because people follow a model and not the Scriptures, right? Follow a model and not the Scriptures. Now, there are things we can't know 
that is very important. You're in John. Look at John chapter 20, verse 22. There are things we can copy. There are things we can do. There are things that we can know. This is how we have the Holy Spirit in us and empowering us through. John 20, 22, the disciples were with Jesus after his resurrection. The 11, and he said this to them, verse 22, and he breathed on them. He had first told them, peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, also I send you. And he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. They received it. Acts chapter 1, just a little bit over. Acts chapter 1. So the disciples receive the Spirit. Jesus breathes on them. Then he tells them, the same, the same disciples, John, uh, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive the Holy Spirit uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my martyrs. The word martyros, you will be my witnesses, my martyrs, my people that give evidence to this. You see how it, it, it just, it's a little more impactful when you read the actual word. You will be people that represent me as, as a witness. But the word is, we get the word martyr from that. It doesn't mean somebody who, who's dying. It just means somebody who's willing to, at all costs, be a witness for Jesus, right? Even if it meant death. Changes the meaning. Changes the meaning, right? Because now it's, it's a real thing. It's like, I am willing to follow Jesus, even if it costs me my own life. You shall have power to be my witness, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria. Now, he told them that they would receive something they already had. They received it in John. How can you receive what you already have? Something unique, right? Then Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in a moment. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. The same ones. They received it in John. Jesus tells them to wait. Acts 2, they now receive it. They are fulfilled, immersed in the Holy Spirit. As I see, I told you, that's it. That's all you need to do. You have it already. Turn to Acts 4. Because this is where I'm going to finish off with and letting you understand that they had it. They had to wait for it. It came upon them. But then it happens again. They were all praying in the place where they had gathered, verse 31. And they were praying because they were persecuted. They were threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And they gathered together for prayer, verse 31. And they gathered, and the place was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They received it. They waited for it. It came upon them. They were filled once. And then they're filled again. Why is that? Because it's not once or twice. Many people make this big deal about, I have the Spirit, that's it, I don't need anything else. Or some people say, oh, did you get the second blessing? Did you get the second blessing? The second blessing of the Holy Spirit. They call them the onesers or the twisers, right? Because that's all belief. They just believe it's a one-time thing or a two-time thing. Actually, in some denominations, the, the, the second time it happened was to make you perfect without sin, right? Um... Oncers or twicers? What do you see in the scripture? It happened once, and it's very important. But it's an ongoing thing. The same ones who received that Jesus says, now you have to wait for it, and it comes upon them. Then in Acts 2, it comes upon them. Then in Acts 4, it comes upon them again. Why? 
It's an ongoing outflowing of the Spirit. Yes, the first one is unique. It's awesome, but it goes on. Now, I'm going to skip a little bit because we're done. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Because it's not unique to the gospel, uh, to the epistles. It goes on to Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Right, he's quoting from Proverbs 23. The idea of Proverbs 23 was the fact that these, um, uh, the warning of drunkenness and drunkenness and intoxication in wine. Don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be, and the word is filled, but the word actually, we can, we can get a wrong idea if we just think of somebody filling up a water pitcher or something like that, but the idea here is fulfilled and overflowing an expression of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. He is in the believer, but now is being fulfilled, and everything that he wants to do in you is coming out as an outflow. Just like what Jesus said, out of him will flow out rivers of living water. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled, and you can look this up. This is not a Greek lesson at all. You can look this up. Being a good student, present continuous action. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continuously immersed and overflowing of the Holy Spirit as he's fulfilling everything in your life. As you're submitting to him, he'll have more control of your life. You yield, you submit, and it'll just continue to flow like a river of living water. When we yield and submit and does that only happen once? Not to the disciples. Not, to the book of, not in the book of Acts. It happened multiple times. Meaning this, one baptism, many outflowings. One baptism, many outflowings. It, it could happen to you in your life continuously. How? By submitting to God. And we'll look at this in a moment as we finish. So what is it for? The Bible says in the, the Holy Spirit is the seal that you are his child. You realize that? That it is a, it confirms, it directly confirms that you are his child by the Holy Spirit because you receive the Holy Spirit of adoption, which you cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. John Wesley used to meet people. You know John Wesley? He used to meet people on the street and he says, is the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? That was his hello. Talk about meeting that guy on the, on the, at the store, but that's, I thought it was wonderful. Is the Holy Spirit, you meet somebody at Starbucks or something, is the Holy Spirit bearing witness to your spirit that you are a child of God? That takes away that whole question about are you, in a, are you a Christian, huh? <laughs> That's much more deeper than that, isn't it? Oh, I don't know how people react to that question, but I think there's a good question to ask. He could ask you that question. Is the Holy Spirit today bearing witness with your spirit that you belong to him? Because if you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to, to Jesus. The Bible says it's very clear. If you don't have his spirit, you don't belong to him. Seal of sonship. What is also for? Power. The power to be a witness Yes, but it's also the power to witness. A power to be a witness 
You need the power to be a representative of Christ in this world. A Christ carrier, we would say. You're a carrier of Christ everywhere you go, right? Not just to witness, but a witness whose life, speech, behavior, character, attitude is a witness unto him. When people meet you, that's the life that they ought to see. A speech, a behavior, a character, an attitude that is a witness unto Christ. They might not like it. They might not like you. But that's okay. Because they could say, I don't like that person, but man, they really resemble Jesus. They really resemble the attitude of Christ. You know, sometimes it's a, it's, it's a, it's a sad thing because we meet Christians that don't resemble that at all, isn't it? We've had experiences with people that go, man, that's supposed to be a Christian. Well, they're certainly not empowered by the Spirit, by that attitude. They're certainly not empowered to be a witness or to witness, right? A power to witness, a power to stand in the face of opposition and be able to proclaim Christ. Like in the book of Acts, they were filled with holy boldness, a boldness that comes not from yourself, but from the Holy Spirit in you working out from you, right? To proclaim, to proclaim. It's also our inheritance, a guaranteed inheritance that because you have him, because you have believed, you were sealed in this hope it doesn't disappoint because God has poured out the Holy Spirit in your hearts. His love has been poured out through the Holy Spirit in your hearts. It's an inheritance. Now think of this as an inheritance. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee to our inheritance. How does that guarantee? We believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe in a spiritual life. We believe that these things are true. And God does not disappoint. Why? Because if you have the Holy Spirit, you have already experienced a little bit of what it would be like in the age to come. You've already experienced God. You've already experienced this presence of God in your life. That you don't think, well, what is eternal life going to be like? All you have to do is live and walk in the Spirit, and you can know what eternal life would look like. Now, it's battle. Sometimes it's short-circuited by our sin, our attitudes. We quench the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit. Yes, but as you yield more and more and allow the outflowing of the Spirit in your life daily, moment by moment, as you yield, then you can experience eternal life and you can say, you know what? The quality is the same. But in heaven, with the Lord, it's going to be amplified one million times over. I can experience the quality of eternal life because of Spirit, but it's going to be amplified much, 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 much more when I'm with the Lord and I'm apart from sin. But you could already taste it. You could already have it. You could already see it in your life. When you yield, when you trust Him, when you allow Him to work in you, that's eternal life, Paul says. And that doesn't disappoint because you already have the Holy Spirit in your heart that's being poured out. His love is being poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit. And that's the assurance that we have. That's the assurance that we have. So just to finish off and recap, there's a lot of things I didn't talk about. One baptism, many empowerments. One baptism, many outflows. One baptism, many drenchings. One baptism, many outpourings. Those are all descriptions in the Bible. Right? Now, if we lived 100 years ago, this would be very, very basic for every Christian. 
But a hundred years later, as Christians, we have to learn some basic things, isn't it? Because it's been corrupted, it's been maligned, it's been pushed aside, it's not taught in discipleship courses, it's not even addressed in anything. People become weird about it. They abuse it or don't talk about it at all. And so Christians are in this like, what do we really believe? Right? It's like a marriage. You go on your honeymoon. Right? You guys go on your honeymoon. Again, I'll use them again. Experience the love. They said they love each other. On the altar I was there. They kept themselves pure for this moment. Now they gave themselves to each, themselves to each other. Now they experienced the love. And then you have children. And now you have an expression of your love, right? I don't know if you call them the expression of your love anymore, but they are the expression of your love that you have for your, for your spouse, right? And, uh, but is it just, okay, we went on a honeymoon. Have a good night, sweetie. Have a good day. I'll live somewhere else and we'll never talk to Or do or does, does it continue to happen? And it goes on, right? The love. And it should get better and better and better as you know the person more, right? And you experience not just the love, but you experience now the relationship with the person that goes beyond the first moment that you met them or the first moment that you came together. It goes on. Now, I also like to explain it like this. You've seen those Russian dolls? I don't know what they're called, but they're Russian dolls. What is it? Babushkas. All right, very good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> The babushka dolls, that's right. Now, when you have, now when you, is anyone, does anyone own one? Okay, good. A few of you, wow. I thought I was going to have no show of hands and have to explain it. Okay, good. Mark has a few, a collection, no. <laughs> when you get one, do, you know what they are, they have little dolls inside of them. When you get one, now this is an analogy that breaks down after a while, so it's not the perfect analogy, but hopefully it works. When you get one, do you have all of them? Yes, they're there. You get it, you have it. Oh, what a nice gift. And then you take it home, and then somebody says, did you know that? Inside that little doll, there's another little doll. And you go, really? And you twist it, and lo and behold, another doll is in there. Wow. And then somebody says, you, you, if you keep going, there's more. And you keep going and going and going. And all this, you know, this is why it breaks down after a while, because they get smaller and smaller and smaller. Actually, when you receive Christ and you, when you receive the Holy Spirit, when you are born again, when you repent and believe, you get the Holy Spirit. You get all of who he is. But is that all that God wants for us? No. Did you know that if you pray and seek the Lord, if you do this, you ask the Father, he will give you a good gift? That's what Jesus said. You know, God is so good that if you ask him, he will give you something good. How much more, if your earthly fathers give you something good, how much more God will give you who? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He will give you an immersion, a drenching in him. You are in him. It's like, an, think of it as an atmosphere. You come into the Holy Spirit. You are in Him. And you live in this atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. You leave, You are walking in the Holy Spirit. You are living in the Holy Spirit. In His atmosphere. In His control. 
and His peace and His grace and His mercy. You're walking in Him, right? I also picture it, I didn't have a picture of this, like a father walking with his son. Dads, you walk with your son or with your daughter, and you love them, and you know you love them, but then there's that one time where you just like, I'm going to pick them up and put them on my shoulders. And you walk for a while with him on your shoulder, and you hug him, and you say, I love you, son, and you are my son, and I'll do anything for you. Then you put him down again because he gets heavy, and you walk down with him again, right? You have these experiences. Now, we can't live unexperienced, right? We cannot live unexperienced. People seek after this, and they just say, if it doesn't happen, it means I'm not saved. This, this, this outpouring of the Spirit's not happening. I mean, something's wrong with me. The outpourings and the flowing are really the sovereignty of God. I can't make it happen. I cannot make it happen. I cannot command God and say, God, baptize me now. I could ask, I could believe, and I could receive. But the sovereignty of God is when he wants to pick me up and express this through me. When I need it the most, when I'm on, I'm on a corner and there's unbelievers that need to hear the gospel, when I'm in a situation that needs it, the Holy Spirit will come. Which kind of makes this interesting point, huh? Maybe we're not putting ourselves in situations where we really need the Holy Spirit. Maybe we play such a safe, sanitized Christian life that as soon as we get home, the garage door closes and nobody ever sees us again. And therefore, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, you probably were not in a situation where you really needed the empowerment of the Spirit. How about the believers in Vietnam? How about the believers in the Uyghur people in China? How about the believers in Nigeria? Do you think they need the Holy Spirit? You absolutely. How about being a witness for Christ? Absolutely. You ask you believe and you receive to be a witness for the Lord. Now, I could tell you this on a personal story, personal level. We're done. This has happened to me. I became a Christian in 1995. I believed, I repented, I received God's Spirit. And maybe about a month later is when I really had my first time that it ever happened to me that there was an outpouring, an overflowing of the Holy Spirit in my life. It was to witness to someone. I never really had an opportunity to witness to someone. I didn't know how to share. I was so timid. I, was, I couldn't tell. I, I, I didn't know what to say. This person came to my apartment and wanted to sell me something. I couldn't tell you what it was. I don't even know what they were selling me. It could have been Amway. It could have been anything. I have no idea to this day. But I know it was a young lady, and I began to tell her about Jesus. It's just something that just happened. I wanted to, but I didn't even know how to start a conversation. And it just began to, like water, flow out of my mouth that I myself thought, who is this talking? I knew what I was saying. It's not like, like I don't even know what I'm saying. But it was an outflowing of what I really wanted to do. I really wanted to tell her about Jesus. I really wanted her to be saved. And it happened. But, you know, it didn't happen the next day or the next week. It happened sometime later. As I asked the Lord, I believe. It happened in my home one time. It happened in my home one time that the pouring out of God's Spirit came upon me and I began to speak in tongues. Now, it, it, it's, it doesn't happen to me all the time. It didn't happen to me the first time. It happened to me the second time. 
Then it happened in Thailand, when I was in Thailand, when I was ready to preach. The Holy Spirit came upon me again, and I was able to stand up and preach to uh, an amount of people that were there. Now, I know when it happens, because it's, it's, you know that it's not you. It's just, that's the empowerment. It happens. But we can live on experience, because most of my life, I've still had to live by faith in what the Word of God says and to obey it. Be filled with the Spirit. But you know what goes on after that in, in Ephesians? It says to make joy and melody in your heart, to, thanks, to, be, uh, to be in gratitude and thanksgiving. And it follows the marriage passage and the work passage, meaning that this is what you have to do as a worker, it has to do as a husband or a wife. Meaning this, that the power of the Holy Spirit works out in your life much more in the, what do I want to call it, in the practical, more than the signs and wonders aspect of it that people follow. Just read Ephesians 5. Make melody to others in your heart, to the Lord in your heart. Sing to one another hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Then it says, be thankful. And then he talks about yielding and submitting to one another. It goes on into marriage and it goes on into work. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. People just like the signs and wonder stuff and the speaking in tongues stuff. And, the, and, 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 and that's wonderful if it happens. God is sovereign. He gives gifts according to his will. But you know when it happens the most that we sort of downplay it the most? In our love for one another? In our submission in marriage and loving in marriage? And everybody wants to speak in tongues. Nobody wants to submit. <laughs> Everybody wants to have the signs and wonders. Nobody wants to love their wives. But that's where it happens. And then at work, talk about taking the Holy Spirit to work, being a good employee, being a good employer. That is the power and the baptism and the outflowing of the Holy Spirit. People seek the big one. And they'll happen. As you ask, receive, believe, it will happen. Trust Him in it. Put yourself in a situation where you do need them <laughs> to witness, to be a witness. But more than anything, walk with Jesus. He's the one that gives the Spirit. You draw close to Him. You ask Him for the Holy Spirit, and He will give it to you. Do we believe? Well, unbelief is a terrible thing. And unbelief can short-circuit these things. But unbelief can be repented of. Unbelief can be repented of. And we can turn to God and we can say, Lord, forgive me. Maybe I don't believe I could receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe I don't believe I could be poured out upon me. Maybe I was taught something else. Or maybe I abused it sometimes. But Lord, I want the genuine. I want the real. I want to know what it's like to be immersed and be in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. And you ask. And you go. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. But it'll happen. As you seek him. It'll come to your life and you go, wow, that is absolutely what I needed. That is absolutely what I needed. And then you'd be like, like anything, Lord, can I have some more? <laughs> and he'll give you more as he wills and as you ask and as you believe and as you receive. One baptism, many outpourings, many flow. Seek after it. Seek after it. Be hungry for the work of the Spirit in your life. Live holy. Don't quench the spirit. Don't grieve the spirit. 
in your life, in marriage, in your relationships. Don't grieve them. Don't quench them. And you'll see the outflowing all through your life as you live this Christ life, full of the Spirit, full of joy. The empowerment of the Spirit will be there in a life of holiness in which the Lord loves, in which without holiness, none of us will see the Lord. That's what Hebrews says. None of us will see the Lord. Man, makes me want to go back into my Bible and read all these passages again and really ask the Lord in sincerity, can I have what you promise? Can I have the gift? Can I have the empowerment? Can I have the filling? Can I have the fulfillment? Can I have the drenching? Can I have the, the immersion? All those things are biblical words. How much more he will not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings and goodness. Thank you for the cross of your son, Lord. And thank you that he went and ascended to the right hand of God. And the promise of the Spirit, the promise of the Father came upon all who believe. So, Lord, we pray today, and we ask, Lord, to forgive us for unbelief. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't believe this could happen. Forgive us, Lord, when we forget how much more we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, to be controlled, to be immersed, to be empowered and, and, and drenched in him. Please, Lord, allow this in our lives. We ask in faith, Lord, believing that you can, you're able, and you will, by faith, Lord. As Paul told the Galatians, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by faith? So, Lord, we believe by faith that you will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so, Lord, we pray earnestly today that it will be lived out in our lives, Lord, as a husband, as a wife, as a son, as a daughter, as, as whom you call us to be, a witness. Let it be real to us. Lord. Let these pages that we read today and and the agreements to the facts that we made today be made real by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask in the power of the Holy Spirit for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.